0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 151 of the Juicebox Podcast. I'm a little sick right now, so my voice might get funny, but don't worry, I was not sick when I recorded this episode. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Dexcom and Omnipod. You can go to dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Ooh, my voice just went, sorry about that. This is going to be tough. Or myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox to learn more about both of these great products. There'll also be ads in the middle of the show somewhere where I'll sound really funny. A quick heads up, if you normally listen with a child, this might be one of the episodes you want to listen to by yourself before deciding if it's appropriate for them. Once again, I want to apologize about my voice that gets tired as I'm talking. Please listen through this episode very thoroughly. Nicole is going to give a masterclass here in being honest, and I don't think it's something you want to miss diagnosed at 17 years old, she's 34 now. She did not, by her own account, do a very good job of taking care of her diabetes for a very long time. This is something that she regrets, but now she's trying to share her story. So you can completely understand what it means to your health when your life takes this path. Nicole has multiple serious complications. She's gonna walk you through her life so that you understand how it happened. And I just wanna tell her right now, Nicole, if you're listening, I'm just incredibly grateful that you did this. Thank you. Let's get to this. Please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before being bold with insulin and don't try to record the beginning of your podcast when you're sick. At the end of the episode, I'm going to read a couple of Nicole's Instagram posts that will update you even further from what she's about to tell you.
1: My name is Nicole Eggerer, and um, I'm a type 1 diabetic. I've had type 1 since I was 17. I was diagnosed two days after my 17th birthday, um, and I have Omnipod and Dexcom right now. So I guess my I, I'm all, I've almost had diabetes for 18 years.
0: Okay. I was going to say, so you're in your mid-30s, right?
1: Yeah, I'm 34.
0: Excellent. That's your early 30s. What was I thinking? No, yeah.
1: Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I already, sometimes I think I'm already 40 at this point. So, <laughs> so
0: going back I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure out, like, I always like kind of look back and, um, try to think like, how, how do I meet the people who are on the podcast and stuff like that? And where does it start from? And sometimes it's me, I see people and I'm like, Oh, that person there. Sometimes I get a lot of messages I like, have to talk to this person. Sometimes it's a mix. Um, you are just sort of known for being very honest about, I guess the things that haven't gone exactly right with your diabetes is that is that how you think how do you think of yourself um you know inside of the diabetes community what do you see as your part in it
1: um well in regards to social media which over the last 2 or 3 years has been something that I've been pretty active on um it's it's basically talking about complications which I realize uh doesn't make me always part of the cool group, (laughs) you know, like the cool kids on Instagram or wherever, but I feel like it's really important to get my story out there. And in doing that, I've learned, I've met so many people or talked to so many people in regards to, yeah, I've got retinopathy or I've got gastroparesis or I have this or I have that. So that's kind of what I, I feel like my platform is, is just the diabetes complications.
0: Yeah. Okay. And I didn't know there was a cool group. Um, Well, maybe
1: that's that's probably just in my mind. Well, no, I'm saying
0: now I'm pretty sure I'm not part of it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, you know, when I say that, and I don't want to offend anyone because I, I, you know, I love the diabetes community, but I think that a lot of the organizations that are big really want to represent type 1 diabetics as everything's fine you can live with this disease for a really long time and nothing's gonna go wrong and i i sometimes feel like there's this not that it's pushed under the rug i just people aren't talking about it right it's not it's not pretty yeah it's not pretty so people don't want to talk about it
0: yeah so i think that I think that a, uh, that there's a couple of like groups, right? There's groups who are trying to figure out how to live and how to manage and what's, you know, what's the right thing to do day to day. And I think there's groups who are just trying to be positive, which I think there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of value in all of that to be perfectly honest. But I think that, that you just, it depends on what, I don't know, like what lane you're in at the moment. Like, you know, where, where's your head right now, but nobody is interested in wondering about the bad stuff. And because it seems like, you know, I think I've said it like this before, but have you ever met a smoker who thought they were getting cancer later in life? Like, no, they always think they're the one, right. Who's like, I'm not, that's not going to touch me. Like everybody who smokes doesn't get sick at the end. Like, um, and so I think that it's, it's one of those things that people prefer to just sort of hope it's not going to be them. And, and, and therefore, and it's I, I kinda get it. Like do you know what I mean? Like I maybe I more than kinda get it. Like I but but there's a ton of value in talking about it. And right. and, and I have my own perspective on that. But what forced you to or forced you, what what and I don't mean forced, what what got you to start talking about it?
1: Well, I think, I think it's important to know, um, even before I answer the, that question, and, and let's come back to that in a second, if you don't mind, remind me, is that, you know, I was diagnosed at 17 years old. And that's a big piece of this because, you know, I was not diagnosed as a child where I had my mom and dad counting carbs and making sugar-free meals or whatever it was and going to diabetes camp. I was practically an adult. So the way I was diagnosed and the the people around me, be it either doctors or even my parents or whatever, that triggered how I responded to my diagnosis and it led me down this denial tunnel, right? And I did think, I mean, I knew my blood sugars were really high and I knew that was bad and I knew that it didn't make me feel good, but I got stuck in it. And I just it just kept going. And for 15 years, I was non-compliant, And that's the other thing is that there's a lot of people that are doing that. So for you know, the handful or I mean, I don't know what the statistics are, we'd never really know. For the people that are, you know, running marathons and living well with diabetes, there's also this group of people that aren't living well with it. And I really I want I want the community to acknowledge that and embrace it, so we can help each other. Yeah,
0: no, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, okay, so let's dig into that for a minute. So you diagnosed when mm-hmm. you are seventeen years old, you just getting ready to graduate from high school, or had you just graduated? But it's in that time frame, right? It,
1: yeah, it was the jun- It was the middle of my junior year of high school.
0: Okay, and so and yeah. But, but so let me help me understand a little bit. Once you're diagnosed, was it? Is it seventeen years ago? Was it something that just didn't? like how did your parents not get involved did it just not work out that they were involved did you say oh i'll take care of this and they were like right on or how did it how did, you how, know, did the, how did the work division work itself out
1: you know uh, it seems kind of like a blur now but i just i was i was an athlete so i played water polo and i was on the swim team in high school mm-hmm. and those seasons are back to back so i remember having the symptoms like everybody has and everything and my cousin is a type 1 diabetic so as i was complaining about i'm like I'm peeing 20 times a day and I start vocally, you know, being vocal to friends and then to my mom. And I think I came back, came out and I said, mom, look at these jeans. They're from like eighth grade. So no, so my cousin, her, my mom's brother's daughter had had been diagnosed with type one years before. And I think my mom kind of had a feeling. So she's like, you know, you might have diabetes, so we need to get you checked. So she knew something. Um, And then sure enough, I I went to a doctor and I remember him saying, Well, you have diabetes, but we don't know if it's type one or type two and I looked at my mom and I was like, Get me out of here. Like, take me to someone who knows what the heck's going on because this is ridiculous. And right away I was diagnosed as type one. And I remember learning how to take injections and that's it. I mean I, I remember sitting in my room with a vial of insulin and a syringe and thinking like, Okay, I have diabetes but they just, I think my parents, they may, and I've, I love my mom. We are very close and she's very much a part of my diabetes now. Mm-hmm. So, and I know she's going to want to hear this, so I don't want to hurt her feelings. But I do think that both of my parents, they they're, they were in their own denial, I think. I think, I think that people can only handle so much And I, I just, and I was 17, you know, I, my my mom's like, you know, we used to ask you about your blood sugar and you'd be kind of a brat. Like I got it. And maybe I was saying that I don't really know. I just, I know that there was a disconnect between the support. There really, I really wasn't getting any. Um, I had a really doctor that was not being helpful. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) No, I I think it's fantastic that you said that because I, first of all, I understand that you're, you're not trying to. Crap on your mom, and and at the right. same at the same time you can't really tell the story if you don't you know say honestly like look I was seventeen it's an in between age I'm not really an adult I'm not really a child um, you know I wasn't really so open when people asked about it and maybe it was easier for my parents to just say oh it's gonna be okay everything's fine and it like maybe that's how simply it started you know just right. like in in that kind of just. I don't know. It's just a, it's just a simple human story. It's just, you know, it's, it's it's not anything bad. Nobody was, uh, you know, nobody was willfully marching around going, I'm not helping that kid with this. And you weren't, you know, like it just, I think it's important for people to know that you don't end up, you don't end up down that road all the time because you're just, you know, just willfully saying I'm, I'm going to go down this road. Like sometimes it just is what it is, you know?
1: And, and I think that because I was like, I got this, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Everyone thought I was. So my friends, I mean, everybody thought I was fine. No one knew what was going on. And what was happening was my, I, my body was – I was destroying my body. Like every piece of me.
0: At what age do you think you, you knew? Like not from doctors or from tests or anything like that. But what age did you know I should? Th- this isn't okay? Like I, I'm physically – there's an issue for here. Like when, I don't mean like when did something go wrong? Like when did you just start feeling so horrible that you were like, I know this isn't right. I guess.
1: I, I think it was specifically two years after I was diagnosed that I, I went to a I I was seeking out a diabetes support group. I think what I was looking for was, you know, people like me and maybe even young people, um, and I did find a support group. It was more, you know, like I said, I was 19 at that time. So it was probably people in their thirties, mm-hmm. which, you know, they, they, my blood sugars were high. They were like 300, 400, 500. And the people in the group were like, what is wrong with you? They, they shamed me in a sense that the other diabetics were not nice to me.
0: So most of the time your blood sugar was high. When you went to a support group, all the support group did was say, Hey, what are you doing wrong?
1: Yeah, they're like, what is wrong with you? Like, what are you thinking? Like what, you know, and my doctor, when I was first diagnosed, he basically was like, your blood sugar needs to be 120 all the time. So I tried to get my blood sugar. This is before social media. So and this is and I and my cousin and I weren't close. She was in another state. So I didn't know anyone with diabetes. Like there was nothing. I wasn't. You know, yeah.
0: So, so the doctor gave you an unreasonable expectation with no idea about how to reach it. One hundred percent. Right. Yeah. You, you did the best you could. It wasn't very good and very understandable. You reach out to other people, thinking maybe these people will help me, and these people just use you as a way to make themselves feel better. Uh, it, it, you know, mm. it, and, and that's that's interesting because we do that as a group a lot. Mm-hmm. And and, it, and it, it 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 rears its head in a couple of different ways. For you, I imagine you go into this support group, and there's a person in there who can't get their blood sugar under two fifty, but sees your three hundred and thinks, "Well, I'm doing better than her." And so if I if I can let all my kind of anger and rage and fear out on this girl, and I'll feel better because my two fifty is better than her three hundred. You, you know what I mean? Like that kind of like. That horribleness that people can have in them. There's, you know, I I I don't want to out anybody, but somebody just somebody just had a really horrible like issue in their life, and other people took the opportunity to go, oh, you shouldn't have done that. You know, like and and this person's this person didn't do anything on purpose, they they weren't negligent. They ended up in a really bad way. And there were some people who took that moment to come in and try to make themselves feel better on their, you know, off of them. And it's just, it's, it's, it's something because when you stop and really like diagnose it and look at it, it's even understandable. Those people are struggling like mightily and mm-hmm. and and they're probably on their way to tipping over like those people in your support group weren't there just for relaxation they needed support <laughs> they needed right? support too right and the just the support they found was just going ooh that girl's worse off than i am and so yeah. i'm not so bad and that is horrible and understandable literally in the same breath and and it sucks you know
1: yeah i i think i think at that point i gave up I was like, I'm done. This is, uh, you know, I can't. And I didn't understand that there were highs and lows. I did not understand that. I knew I was terrified. And that was the other piece. I was terrified of going low. That was a great fear of mine. But I didn't know. And it sounds dumb now, but I didn't know that that was okay. My doctor didn't. Like I said, there was like this target and you're either in it or you're not. And it was, it was awful. So I stopped seeing him. I stopped going to the doctor. I was going just to get insulin at one point. I wasn't talking about it. I was not trying to make friends with diabetics. I was not, I just wasn't doing anything. I just was like, I don't care. I'm done.
0: You gotta just shut down <laughs> and you used enough insulin to stay alive.
1: Exactly. So in the beginning, so for the first two years I did injections Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think that time I was being as compliant as I could be, but once I went on the pump, which I also did not want the pump cause I, I, I did injections in my thighs. I didn't want anything in my stomach. I don't know why I just, it was, I was freaked out, mm-hmm. but I used like the top part of my butt <clears throat> for my site. Okay. And once I knew you could put a pump site there, I got the pump. Um, I, I was on, not what I'm on now, another pump for about 12 years. And I just ran the background insulin. I wasn't, I wasn't bolting. I would drink whatever I wanted. I'd have a soda or coffee from Starbucks and, you know, and I've had other diabetics even today. They're like, why would you do that? Or that was dumb. But there was, there was a a mental piece of this. There was denial going on. There was shame. There was guilt. There was not having the support, (laughs) you know, um,
0: well, okay, so you're reminding me of, okay, i'm gonna I'm gonna record the Omnipod ad. I don't feel good, guys. If you're listening to this in the first couple of days of its release, probably not beyond february twenty third two thousand eighteen the omnipod c o o Shacey, who's been on the show a couple of times, she's coming on next week. If you have questions for, you can go to either of my Facebook pages for Juicebox Podcast or for Arden's Day and leave um, them. There's a, there's a post already up. If you have questions for Shashi, you can leave them there and I'll do my best to get them answered. And as you can tell, my head is all swimmy and I'm not making a lot of sense. So <laughs> see where this goes. I also kind of can't breathe. Jesus, this is a mess. Maybe I should run an ad I've already recorded. Omnipod, baby. We're going to talk about the best insulin pump in the world, and we're going to talk about it in simple, simple terms today. You have a car. You ever need gas? You did, right? You went to the gas station. Maybe you got out, you took the little hose, you stuck it in the side of the car, you squeezed the thing, and the gas went in the car. Maybe somebody pumped it for you. Maybe you live in New Jersey. Anyway, New Jersey pumps gas. They don't let you pump it. That, that's the point there. Nevertheless, can you imagine if you could only drive as far as that hose went? If you were always stuck to that gas pump? If you couldn't get away from it, no matter what, and if you did, if you said, oh, I have to go a little farther than this hose will reach, I'm gonna to have to disconnect from this hose, you're gonna drive away and run out of gas. Then what? Is that what you wanna do? Do you wanna be driving around stuck to a gas pump your whole life? You do not. That would be silly. It would actually be patently ridiculous. Now maybe there was a time in the past when that was all the technology would allow you to do, is be attached to your gas pump while you were driving around. But that's not today. Today, technology exists that's better. Tubeless insulin pumps, for instance, are way better than tubed insulin pumps, in my opinion, because you're not attached to something else. Why do I wanna be attached to something? Just so I can get my insulin. Why do I wanna have to unattach from it to take a shower or go swimming or play a sport? I don't wanna do that. You need your insulin. You need it all the time. You don't need it most of the time. You don't need it some of the time. You need it constantly. I do not want you to feel attached. I want you to go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box and find out what freedom feels like. I absolutely love Omnipod and I think you will too. You're reminding me of when social media exploded out a little more and Twitter became popular. There was a person with diabetes in the, in the Twitter sphere and she was, I don't remember her name, I wouldn't say it if I did, but, but she was deathly afraid of her insulin.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so she would do exactly what you're saying, like, oh, I, you know, I have my pump on, and my my background's running, but I can't bring myself to bolus. And right. I watched countless well-meaning people, very supportively, try to help this person to just, hey, just look, you know, you know, think it through. Like this is probably going to take eight units, so just try four and see what happens, right? And she couldn't do it. And and steadfastly couldn't. She was having a real significant psychological impediment. you, you know, and, mm-hmm. and eventually one day she just disappeared. And I've always just sort of wondered about her. Y- you know, I think and I think there are probably so many people like her that we're just not aware of. She was just the one that had the nerve to speak up on Twitter. She was close enough to she knew she needed the help, but she could never take it. And she could never even follow. Like she even knew you could see when she was talking, she knew what to do but she couldn't bring, right. she couldn't bring herself to do whatever. It was uh, Yeah, I I, I
1: had yeah, I I had this fear that I was going to die in my sleep, which every now and then that thought will come into my mind, but I'm not the same diabetic today as I was, you know, many years ago. So, um
0: Did you have a low that that scared you enough or did someone put the fear in you? How did you come up with that feeling?
1: I, you know what? I don't know. I think I I don't ever remember my actual lowest low was probably a year ago. I was 35 off of an airplane. So I think that there was other – that's like a whole nother mm-hmm. that could be a whole episode, you know, flying while wearing an insulin pump. But um, I I don't know. I just – I didn't want to deal with it, and I didn't want to be low. I didn't – the thought of passing out and someone finding me or having, you know –
0: it struck you so mm-hmm. harshly that the other stuff didn't matter. The feeling feelings right. being sloshy, thinking about what long term right. effects, all that was like, well, that's not happening to me now. So this wins.
1: Exactly. Okay. And I didn't think that. I mean, I knew, like, I my doctors had not, they weren't like, I mean, they saw my blood work. They saw my A1Cs. Mm-hmm. They just.
0: Do you think <laughs> you were just the girl that they thought, like, well, we can't help her. So everyone's not going to try? Because I have. I've heard you know what?
1: I talk never. Like that. I never had anybody, like, I wasn't like that girl. Like I never had people, there was one or two, do- I had to get my gallbladder out years ago. Mm-hmm. It was an emergency surgery, just like your appendix. Sometimes, you know, yeah. people have to get their gallbladders out. And so that, so it was the surgeon. Um, he was like, your a is really hot. Cause it was like 13 to 15%. Okay. It was off the charts. Like that is not normal. Right. And he's like, you're going to die. I'm like, no, I'm not he's like, yeah he's like he he actually gave me five years to live. He's like, this you can't do this, and he actually called me um you know, and this was the surgeon, so he 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 called me his office called me a couple of times after that, and I did go back for my follow up so he could you know look at the they they use glue or whatever to sew me up to close me up, but um yeah, I know, I just I, I wouldn't
0: hear it. He saw your, your pre-surgery blood work, saw your A1C, uh-huh. and, and just said, look, this is like crazy out of control. This, you're not going to live like this. And you didn't, right. believe, you didn't believe him or the fear no. was greater than his threat? Both. Okay. So I have a question. Maybe you can yeah. answer it. Maybe you can't. I always wonder about this. Mm-hmm. In other aspects of your life, does your mind work like that? Do you get an electric bill you know you can't pay and not open it? That kind of thing. Maybe. Okay. Okay.
1: <laughs> and, and because you know, and it's not a yeah. judgment.
0: I'm just interested to know if if you're if you're if you randomly getting type one diabetes is randomly more dangerous than someone else randomly getting type one diabetes just for the fact of how your mind naturally works.
1: That's really interesting. Yeah. uh uh, it's definitely it's definitely a possibility you know um i think when it's funny that you brought up mail because obviously now that i'm deep into this you know i'm not i'm not dealing with just you know money for insulin and pumps and cgms i've got serious complications and with that comes bills and with that comes money and you know I, 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 I'll be honest, I can't pay all the bills. I just can't.
0: No, no, I can't imagine how, I mean, I can't imagine, I guess, but I I imagine it's a lot. And so, see, because I, I've said this here before, but I think it really, it begs saying in this episode that I'm just, you know, when people hear how I am with, with managing my daughter, you have to understand the randomness that is who I am, right? Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's, I'm a person who was put up for adoption, right? When I was a, a, a brand new baby. And and I'm adopted by people who are very lovely, but they're blue collar. And mm-hmm. I'm clearly, and I, my mom will never hear this, but I'm clearly smarter than the people who raised me. And it wasn't, it's not a judgment or anything like that. They're just, their brains worked one way. They were sort of simple people. I don't mean that they were not as smart as me because they were blue collar. I mean that I know plenty of very smart blue collar people. I just mean that something would come up and I would see this common sense approach to it. And I would watch them struggle to come up with any answer that was anywhere near mine. And even as a person in their early teens, my mom was coming to me and asking me about life things going like, what would you do here? And and, mm-hmm. and it was a weird thing. And then right. my, And then my dad left my mom. So now I've been basically abandoned once at adoption. I've been now abandoned again by the, you know, the man who adopted me and my mom was broke. And then what to do next sort of fell to me at 13, 14, 15 years old. I raised my brothers when I was a teenager, while my mom went back to work. All these things that happened to me in my life, I kept responding to, but I don't take credit for that. I'm not telling you that I got thrown into this situation and I stood up. It is just for whatever reason, who I am. And so, when this diabetes thing happened, I just attacked it in the same way. If I heard somebody saying something that didn't make as much sense as what I thought, I disregarded them and went with what I thought. I have a don't give up attitude. I you know, but this is not something I built or created or willfully did. and I I really genuinely believe that th- that what happened to you isn't something that you built, created, or, or willfully did either. I just think it's who we are. And some people's situations, lend to their strengths and some people's situations lend to their weaknesses and that's beyond your control. Y- y- you know?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I, did a post recently where, you know, I taught, I see, I never, I don't want to blame anyone. Right. No. Cause again, I'm not in that space that I was like, I'm not, I am not non-compliant anymore. Right. Um, Um, so I don't want to like blame my mom or blame the doctors or blame anyone. But for me, it it has been important to look back and see what did go wrong. And one thing I can say is that no matter how old someone is, when they get diagnosed, I don't care if you're two or you're 10 or you're 21 or you're 50, there needs to be that support. And there needs to be like, I call it a diabetes team, right? Of people. And I think that, How a parent's how their attitude is um, towards their children and their diagnosis and the support they're given will, can set them up for success or failure, if that makes any sense.
0: It does. And everybody needs some level of support. Some people might need more. Some people might need less. Some people might need more nuts and bolts support. Some people might need more emotional support. But there's a need for everybody who's diagnosed. And right. and and so that structure has to be in place so you can take from it what you what you require, uh, right. so that you can be successful. Because there is no doubt that in in the right in the right framework, you would have probably been more successful early on than you were. It's just right. your, your randomness, you know, the randomness of your life just did not support you in any of the ways you needed.
1: Right. And I don't, I mean, and, and, and I'm thinking now, oh gosh, everyone's going to be listening to this and they're going to think like, oh, well, this is a personality thing. This is just no, no, no,
0: who no, no. she,
1: who she is. And, and I, you know, I have a lot of other autoimmune diseases where I think like I have celiac disease. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you're familiar. Um, and basically I can't have wheat, rye, malt, barley, or oats. Okay. And that, that diagnosis came in my twenties. So I've had that for 10 or 11 years And I've always been compliant. And the difference between celiac and type one for me was with diabetes, I could be high and there was no consequence in that moment. Right. But with celiac disease, it's like, okay, if I eat something I'm not supposed to, I'm going to have diarrhea and not just once, but for the whole day. And then I'm going to feel like I have the flu. So it was very like I'm not going to do that because that doesn't feel good. <laughs> right.
0: Well, well, no. That listen, that makes yeah a, a, a bunch of sense. And and I want you to know that I don't going back for a second. Like I didn't. I don't mean that it's a personality issue. Like you're a person who doesn't care. I just mean that. I just mean that there's sometimes it's just who you are. Like I don't, there's certain colors I don't like. If you, if you forced that color on me every day, I wouldn't begin to like it. I just like oh, now there's that thing. Like my brain would always respond to that color the same way. Right. You you know what I mean? Like if you, there's stuff, look, there are things as much as I might be a go-getter about some stuff, there's some stuff that, that my wife will point out to you that if I don't like the, the, the thing that's going on, I ignore it. You know, like I have to do something, but it's not something I'll enjoy doing, so I ignore it.
1: Right. <laughs> and I'm
0: completely aware of that about myself. It has never made me change once, but to right. your point, it never also gave me diarrhea or retinopathy. So, but, right. but, but, but it just, but if I could have easily fallen into, and I still could, I could get. You know, wouldn't it be ironic if I got type two diabetes and I ended up being the worst type two diabetic in the world? Like, like it just it, you don't know what what it is that you're going to respond to, not respond to. And it is difficult to force yourself past something, you know, right. especially when it's hardwired. So, um, you know, you you don't you don't you don't look at a person who's depressed and tell them, "Well, you're just not trying hard enough not to be depressed." And and the idea of depression or having built in responses to things, I don't think is any different. I just think it's who you are. It's how you're wired. So right. so tell me a little bit about these high blood sugars and what they brought. What was your first complication that came up? I'm incredibly excited today to tell you about Dexcom. Now, Dexcom is a continuous glucose monitor, and those are a lot of big words. I don't know if you know what that means or not. I'm going to tell you. Do you know what your blood sugar is right now? Do you have type 1 diabetes? Do you know what your blood sugar is right now? Do you have a child with type 1 diabetes who's in the next room or at school? Do you know what their blood sugar is right now? I know what my daughter's blood sugar is. It's 115, and it's nice and steady. It's been steady for the last three hours, and kind of moving just gently between 90 and 115. How do I know that? I'm looking at an app on my iPhone. Now, if I had an Android phone, I could also look at an app there, too. So I'm looking at my daughter's blood sugar from across town while she's at school. That's called the Dexcom Share. A continuous glucose monitor is exactly what it sounds like. It is a continuous which means all the time ability to look at what your blood sugar is or what your loved one's blood sugar is. Being able to see a blood sugar and when it's moving and react to it, being able to react like that, that's the key to keeping your blood sugar where you want it. That's why her blood sugar is at 115 right now. It's why Arden's A1C has been between five, six and six, two for almost four years because we get a small announcement from the from the Dexcom, "Hey, your blood sugars on the way up." And we're able to just bump it back down again. There's no waiting until 3 hours to test to find out your blood sugar's 200 points higher than you think it is and then uh then you're fighting with it all the time. The bumping and nudging that you hear me talking about on the podcast is possible with the Dexcom Share and Follow apps. It's it's absolutely spectacular. I really do want you to go to Dexcom.com forward slash juice box to find out more about the Dexcom. You have to. Don't confuse it with any other continuous glucose monitor in the world. Dexcom is the absolute best. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. As soon as this episode is over, type that address into your browser or click the link in your show notes. You will absolutely be happy that you did. Please remember these results are mine and yours may vary. What was your first complication that came up?
1: After having diabetes for about 15 years, um I remember telling my mom just in passing cuz in 2009 I got I had a prescription for glasses, but it was it was like minimal, just made things a little bit more crisp. Mm-hmm. And I had noticed, I mean I wasn't really having any symptoms, I just I wanted contacts. I wanted to be able to wear my glasses you know, I, I wasn't. I don't like glasses on me personally, so I wasn't wearing them. I wanted to wear something at night. I said, you know, I'm gonna go get contacts. Mm-hmm. My mom's like, okay. So my doctor, my eye doctor had just retired. And for those wondering, I was going to the eye doctor. I did go once a year. Right. I, I can't explain why I was not compliant in some areas and others. I, Cause I guess I, in the back of my mind, I wanted to make sure that I was okay. Mm-hmm. Knowing my blood sugars were so high. So my doctor had retired and I went and there was a new woman who had a heavy accent that I did not know. And she looked at my eyes for like a second and stood back And she had this reaction and she's like, they're, they're, they're bleeding. And I'm like, uh, like, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I could barely understand what she was saying. And I was like, what's bleeding? And she said, you have diabetes in your eye, in your eyes. I was like, okay. And I still, I mean, even she was acting really weird, especially for a doctor. Like it was very dramatic and i was like okay and she wrote down the name of someone and said you need a retina specialist um so i told my mom and dad what had happened and they were like you're not going to go my dad actually has um a genetic disease called rp which is not diabetes related but it has to do with the eyes and it can make you go blind mm-hmm. so he already had a retina specialist He's like, I've already seen that doctor that they want you to see. That doctor is a jerk. He said, you're going to go to UCLA right. and see my doctor. Okay. You know, I wasn't even, an, and even as an adult, like he was telling me, you're going to do this
0: because. Yeah. He knew where, where the right next step and how important it was. Oh. Right. You have diabetes in your eyes is a ridiculous sentence. Yeah. It's staggering that, that someone would have such an unfeeling.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and, and and with that that comment, some people, some people would just not go to the eye doctor. They would be so scared Mm -hmm. because people don't always want to know what's wrong with them. For me, it's like, if you tell me what's wrong, then I'm going to go and research it. Like, I need to know exactly what's going to happen. And then that helps ease my anxiety. If I don't know what's going on, then I freak out. So I want to know. And, and I've told all my doctors, please like, don't, don't sugarcoat anything. Just let me know what's going on so I can mentally prepare and deal with it. So, um, my mom went with me to UCLA, uh, probably a month later. And basically the doctor, you know, UCLA uses fellows, which are doctors that are practicing. Mm -hmm. So, they scanned me, did all these tests and everything. They brought me behind the, the actual room where they look at you. And I remember I was looking straight at the doctor. My mom was behind me. The two fellows were to the side of me. And he said, well, you know, it's not good. I said, okay. And he said, you have um, diabetic retinopathy and it's proliferative retinopathy. So basically they diagnosed me with a- end stage uh retinopathy and proliferative retinopathy is the type that will can make you go blind. How old were you then? I um that was that was only like that was in 2015. Okay. So I'm 34. I'm almost 35 now. So it was okay. just a few years ago. Okay. It was what two and a half three years ago?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it just it's interesting for people to understand that you began at 17 years old and mm-hmm. put in put in, you know, that many years of of, you know, just not really taking great care, and that it took it still took that long for something to happen because because when you're doing that, I mean, you've said it, and I think people can imagine it. You're betting. You're like, okay, well, maybe it won't happen to me, and and right. but the the message really does need to be, it is going to happen. But you know, like it, it's not like you're going to just. You're not going to let your blood sugar be 300 forever and nothing's ever going to come of it. Right.
1: Right. Exactly. And that's why I tell people all the time. It's not a matter of if, If it's it's a matter of when. Like that, that this is not, I'm not like some, I'm not a ninja turtle. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm not the only diabetic in the world doing this or that this has happened to. Yeah. So basically after, you know, he's telling me all this stuff and then all of a sudden he says, you know, and this can be hard for the whole family. And in my mind, I was kind of like, why is he saying that? And I remember in slow motion turning around and my mom was crying and um, my mom doesn't cry. So then I knew it, it It hit me even more that it was serious. And I said, well, what can you do? Can you fix it? And he said, there are things we can do. And I said, like, what? And he said, well, we can do lasers, lasers and injections. And I said to my eye, and he said, yeah. I was like, okay, well, I'll be asleep, right? And he said, no, you will be awake. So I felt my knees start to buckle mm-hmm. and freaked out. I remember going home and crying in the bathtub and thinking, I'm going to go blind. Right. And uh, so he's been working on me since 2015. At first, I went like every two weeks, um you know, working on one eye, then the next, then the next, and the next. Now I go every six weeks and, I, you know, I tell people I've had over 20,000 laser burns per eye. Um, I've had probably 48 injections in total. So 20 something to each eye. And I've had one surgery. I had a vitrectomy of the left eye. I had a major hemorrhage and um, I have lost central vision in my left eye. So, Yeah, it's it's you know that's why I talk about it because even though it's not pretty, it's like I don't want this to happen to anybody
0: else. Yeah, it shouldn't be the understanding of this stuff shouldn't be in the abstract. It we shouldn't it shouldn't be in most people's minds. Oh, if my blood sugar is too high for too many years, something bad's going to happen because it's it's just too inspecific. You really Mm -hmm. knew if you're gonna if you're gonna make a bet with your health, you ought to really know what you're betting. You know what I mean? Like you, each yeah. just be random. Like, oh, I, you know, maybe I just my fingers won't have as much feeling. Like, you know, you whatever you end up lying to yourself and thinking is going to end up happening to you. Um, it, it was the eyes. Like, how long would you say you've been paying? You know what you would consider to be closer attention to your blood sugar and trying harder to keep it in a, in a, in that one twenty range that the doctor told you about so many years ago.
1: Right. Well, when he when I got that diagnosis. Mm-hmm. I was terrified and remember a lot of my stuff is fear, fear based. And it's something that I work on even today. I I don't want to live in fear, but I was terrified of going blind and specifically being a blind diabetic. I could not comprehend how is that going to work? Because nobody like no one I'm, I don't have a husband or a boyfriend or a best friend or anybody that knows how to give me insulin. Like no one knows how, how my body works besides for me. So in my mind, I have to 100% all the time be in charge and taking care of this. I I just, it's like, if I don't, if I can't see my meter and I can't take it, you know, there was all these like, what ifs, and it was just playing like a movie. I'm like, Oh hell no. And I, it woke me up. And, um, you know, I think, I don't, I think it was either right before, right when that was happening, I got Dexcom. So those were the two things that happened Mm -hmm. was, One, I was not going to be a blind diabetic in my mind. I was like, no. And two, I got Dexcom and Dexcom saved my life. How? I could see my blood sugars. I could see what the food was doing um, you know, I also have some form of gastroparesis, so that makes bowl sing difficult for me, but it, it changed my life. I could see. It's almost like when you don't have a CGM, when you don't have Dexcom, um, you're blind <laughs> in a sense. Yeah. And that, I, that, yeah. So, so now my A1C, like I said, when I was in 13, 14, 15% and I don't talk about A1C for kind of the reason we talked about earlier is that people compare themselves, but it is important for my story to know that my A1C now is the last one I had about a month and a half ago was 6.9%. Wow, that's excellent. It's the lowest A1C I've had in almost 18 years.
0: Good for you. Congratulations. That's amazing. Yeah. It's a lot of yeah. work and a lot of overcoming yeah. a lot of fear, I would imagine. So.
1: Yeah. And it's, and it's a lot of self-control because i don't just you know i had someone tell me oh well don't be afraid of the food just you know just just keep trying it's like when you're newly diagnosed you have time to have some high blood sugars here and there Mm -hmm. and to play with the food when you have complications every single high blood sugar i have it's like oh is that gonna pop up like is yeah do i have new vessels bleeding in my eyes now like did my kidney just take another shot like i don't i don't I don't want to try, you know, it's like I eat specific things and it's, it's very controlled and I really don't go out of,
0: I had a dietitian say, well,
1: yeah, Yeah." I had a dietitian tell me recently, if you stay in your box and she made like a box, like an imaginary box with her fingers. That must've been fun. Yeah. Well, no, I was insulted. She basically was just like, I don't know what she said. I probably, as soon as she started making the box (laughs) shape, I was just like, whatever, you know, like, this is what works for me. I, you're not me. I don't really care. I'm trying to live. Mm -hmm. Before I wasn't really trying to live. Now I want to live. Like, I want to do things. And my, my health is, it's compromised. Like, we're, this is, it's not good. And I don't like to think of myself as like the sick person, but... I'm struggling, right. you know. I'm oh, physically course. struggling at this point. Well, you're
0: also, <laughs> so. are you, I'm assuming you're limited by with the gastroparesis as well, right? So, is that is that so? For people who don't completely get the idea of like, so is your your stomach doesn't empty the way that it's expected to, so you, you can't timing the insulin is much more difficult. Is that
1: right? Right. So basically, and it's kind of. It's like neuropathy, you know, nerve. It's nerve damage right. in the stomach, and I've got I'm I'm riddled with neuropathy. I've got it in my feet, my you know legs and everything, my stomach. Um. So basically, the food will just I'll eat it and I'll just sit there. Yeah. So right, your body now, doesn't
0: move it along the way it's supposed to, so it's not exactly. digesting it. So right. it's not sending carbs into your system. Right. The way it so, normally would. Right.
1: So now we have a whole new problem. And and diabetics also don't understand this. Like I cannot bolus fifteen minutes ahead of time or right when I start eating. I bolus when Dexcom, when the arrow I, I call it a slight arrow. When it starts to slightly go up, I, I bolus right away. This is a timing thing. Like this right. is the, the timing is crucial because if I do not bolus, you know, if I don't catch it in time mm-hmm. And now I know there's certain foods that are more difficult than others or like I know blueberries. I can eat blueberries and bolus five minutes in and be okay. Mm -hmm. There's some foods where it's like once that high, once you have a straight up arrow, you know, and then you're waiting 15 minutes for the insulin to kick in. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's a nightmare.
0: So I think (laughs) think the message here is, is that figure this stuff out now before you have problems. Because if you really stop and just listen for a second to what Nicole just said, she said that. I've had a blood vessel burst in my eye already and needed surgery. I'm afraid if my blood sugar goes up again, it's going to happen again. But I can't time my insulin properly because the neuropathy in my stomach keeps the food from breaking down in a way that I can pre bolus. She isn't, you are in literally like a four pronged hell. Like, like, right. like, really. And And this is something you have to think of every time you eat. You know,
1: right. Well, and there's, and there's times where like, I'll eat, say I, I do not eat pasta like, okay. Pizza, maybe Mm -hmm. I'll eat pizza two or three times a month as a treat, knowing, knowing it is a food that I'm, I'm going to hit 200 and I'll be lucky if I don't go higher than that. So it's not really worth it. But every now and then I crave it and I want to, I want it, you know, I try not to be too extreme. Um, there's times where like, I won't have a rise in my blood sugar for two and a half hours. And then it's like, okay, well, how much insulin do I need now? Because it's been two hours.
0: Well, and here's the question: is 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 it two hours because my body's just now starting to break down this food, or is it two hours because maybe I was going to get low without some of that food? And you have no way right. of knowing. It's just yes. So when your blood sugar starts to creep up, is it a bolus for all the food? Is it a bolus for some of it? Is it? Yeah, no, I know, and and it, yeah. and everything you're going through. It's just magnified so much by consequence. You, right. know, you know, like, because your consequences are now in the moment. They're real. They exist today. They're not They're not something that may happen in the future anymore. They are happening. The future is now. Like, and right. it's happening right now. Is there... Right. Okay, hold on. Let's take a breath. Gastroparesis, neuropathy, eye issues, celiac, anything else?
1: Um. I mean, I... I well, in regards to the diabetes, I also have kidney disease. Unfortunately, right after I got my eye and eye and kid eye disease and kidney disease can come hand in hand in, mm-hmm. in type one diabetics so basically you know i'm I'm assuming see I'm not one of those people I don't always get my blood work and analyze it. Yeah. I trust my doctor, my doctor's a type one diabetic, his daughter's a type one like so yeah he tells me things and I listen and I, I take that, but, um, he, you know, actually, okay, let's back up. I had gone to my, uh, uh, annual gynecologist appointment who my gynecologist, I also love. And he said, you know, um, you're spilling protein in your urine. I said, yeah, my diabetes doctor, he mentioned that. And he's like, um, well, you need to like, go talk to him about it again. And I was like, okay. And again, I, I'm not thinking that it's it, anything big. I right, already know right. about it. So I tell my diabetes doctor what my gynecologist says. And he said, yeah, you know, you have beginning stages of kidney disease, but that it's pretty normal. I mean, most diabetics, when you've had diabetes 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, mm-hmm. although I've heard some say I have no complications, which I don't know how that's possible. He's like, it will happen. You'll have a little bit of kidney damage and it's not a big deal. It's, it's in five stages. So stage one being maybe beginning stages into stage five. And, um, I said, okay, so it's stage one. And he said, yeah, I said, but are you positive? And I started questioning it because I'm already going through the eye stuff. And I said, no, I told him, I said, that's not good enough. I want to know where it's at. Like, I want to know exactly how much kidney function I have. And I put, I had to push him. Had I not pushed him, um, I don't think I would have found out, obviously, so soon, but when the test came back, it, it's uh, it's called a 24-hour creatinine clearance where you pee into a jug for for 24 hours, you collect the urine, you give it to them, they analyze it. It came back that I only had 50% function,
0: oh. which and, is and stage
1: you, two, stage three. And
0: he was telling you, don't worry about it. This is early on. Basically, yeah. he
1: told me it was stage one. so, I mean, I still see him. He's still my diabetes doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, I... But, yeah, I, I I pushed for that. And, you know, at that point, he said, I need to refer you to a nephrologist.
0: Um, Nicole, and- you're making me wish I never marked this uh, podcast as clean language because I I want to curse. Um, but but, uh, I, but I can't. And, and so, uh, <laughs> oh, geez, like I, I – we don't really know each other except for messaging back and forth to set this up. And as you're talking, I'm like rubbing my face down to my skull thinking like – this poor person, like all this stuff. And, and she's, and, and now she's trying to get a, a hold of it. Cause you said something really amazing. Somebody said you're, you're, Hey, there's protein in your, in your urine. And you said, I want to go find out what this means. Like you've done a complete, 180 degree turn from where you started like the person you were back Then would have been like I don't hear what you're saying And you you would have gone home and not thought about it ever again You might have worried about it been scared of it, but you never would have looked into it And now now you had I do you think And if you don't have an answer this don't force yourself to have an answer Mm -hmm. but but back then in the middle of everything that was going on Is there something that you wish could have happened before? before what happened to your eyes that could have like, is there anything you can imagine that could have pushed you forward prior to it being health issues? Like, like what would you tell somebody? Like if you could go back in time, what do you think you'd say to yourself? That's such a lame question, but I do need the answer. no, I don't think,
1: no, I don't think so at all. You know, I would tell myself that it's not, that it's not worth it. Um, that, that diabetes, is so much easier on its own than all these problems that I now have. I mean, I can't have children now. Um, I'm looking at needing a double transplant, you know? Um, So, and it makes me get a little choked up because I know that I caused this. And so I have to deal, you know, with the guilt and the shame. But yeah, I, it's not worth it. It's, it's so much easier to just, you know, uh, you know just take just take care of it just check your blood sugars that's what i tell people on social media check your blood sugars like please check your blood sugars i
0: just posted an episode the other day which now i realize i'm just running yours next week usually they don't go out as soon as i record them but because these are these sort of back to back messages i i posted one last week with uh, a girl who used to be the catcher for the alabama softball team and mm-hmm. i said in that episode there's going to be a fight with diabetes at some point. You can have the fight now, or you can have the fight later. But I would, right. much, I would much rather fight now before things go wrong, before while I've still got a chance of winning something. Like I don't want to fight for my life. I want to fight to keep my life. And, right. And, like and and I think that's what you're saying is that, that this is going to. It, Either you're going to deal with your fear now and your anxiety and your your inability to to make good decisions because nobody's giving you tools. All the BS that comes with being diagnosed, either deal with it now and figure it out or deal with it later when you're like saying things like that man put 48 needles in my eyes. Like I don't even have the nerve to ask you what that feels like. It hurts. <laughs> I, I bet you it does. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, if you're going to get into a fight eventually, you might as well get into the fight that leads you to the best possible outcome.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, absolutely. Just, just deal with it. However, you have to. You know, I, um, I had hatred for my disease. I don't have hate. I don't carry that today. Like, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm different. But yeah, I hated it. I hated it, and. Somehow, I thought I was invincible. And if
0: somehow you would have met it head on back then, you have to also live with the idea that this probably wouldn't be your life at this point. And, and, right. But, but I do want to say something to you, and I don't know how much it's so mean coming from a stranger, but you said that it was your fault, but I, I would really maintain that it's not your fault. It's diabetes' fault, which, again, is no one's fault. Like, like do do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't want to make it sound super simple, but they say that a few times a year, a giant block of frozen urine falls out of an airplane and hits the ground. Never hits it. Right? (laughs) But if if, Nicole, if you got up this morning and said, oh, my alarm went off at seven and you hit snooze six times and got up 25 minutes later than you were supposed to, walked outside to go to work and a big block of frozen urine fell on your head. I guess you could make the point, it's my fault for pushing the snooze button, but it's not your fault. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, there is some randomness to the world that's beyond all of our controls. You getting diabetes is one of those things. Your mom meets a guy and they have a baby and their genetics together makes a baby who's more susceptible to diabetes than other babies and you end up with it. Had your mom said yes to the guy that asked her out three weeks before your dad did, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like you you can keep going back in that line. Uh, Countless people have made countless decisions that led to you being here. None of that's you. You, you know what I mean? Like, like, right. it, I get what you're saying that when it happened, you could have done something different. I don't think you're wrong about that. I do think you're wrong to assign fault to it though. Right. And I hope you don't, I mean, I don't know. I I don't think I can talk you out of it in 20 seconds, but I don't, I mean, if the, if if you can do something for yourself I would I would say forgive yourself for what you think you did because I don't think you did anything. First of all, plus I think it'll just make the rest of your life that much more pleasant. Which it's a life now that you're fighting for, so it might as well be one that you're happy with.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah no. And I and I I respect and what you you know your opinion. And I could also I,
0: be I, full of crap and not know what I'm talking about because no, I'm not in no, no, your you situation. Know, but
1: no, it's funny because my my friend who also has really bad gastroparesis and and she also has retinopathy. I was with her last night with her boyfriend, and he said the exact same thing. So when somebody – it doesn't matter if you're a stranger or not. When I hear someone, whoever, multiple people tell me the same thing, then I do absorb that and think about it.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, You know, I guess
0: – yeah. It's like and everything I have to else, let, though. You can, yeah, be, you can be academic about when you're thinking about other people's lives. It's still hard to apply to yourself. Yeah. You, you know?
1: Yeah. I just – um and and sometimes i think that this is and in a positive way my my purpose because i know i have friends that have you know certain diabetes complications and they're not out there talking about it
0: i've seen you on your instagram like with friends who are in the hospital or just trying to get people to you know meet things head on and things like that and i it is a really wonderful thing and you're doing this today look i you're going to end up being episode 151 of this podcast, and there have been some incredibly honest people on this podcast. You're probably going to take the crown on honesty, you know? So really? Far. Yeah, I would well, think c- so.
1: Cool. <laughs> because I think that's kind of cool. Well, it's it's
0: amazing <laughs> because because nobody really wants to say out loud, "Look what I did," and look how bad it is, especially knowing like what we talked about in the beginning that there are some people out there who are going to hear your words and they're going to use your struggle to make them feel better about the things they're not doing in their life. And, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, God knows some of them might come after you in public and let you know that they're doing better than you are, that you screwed up or whatever makes them feel better to say, you know?
1: Well, you know what? I, 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 not to interrupt, but to interrupt, I, I get emails all the time. I get emails from, I had an email or like in direct message on Instagram from you know someone that was pregnant, and she was like, "My eye went black and i can't see and you know people that are on dialysis i mean i i it's mostly actually eye patients. Mm-hmm. Or is this normal? And, and I have to tell people, you know, this is my experience, but go to the doctor because right you need to go to the doctor, right? Like I can't diagnose you and I can support you and I can say, yeah, that happened to me. But at the end of the day, the eye, it's different for all of us. Mm. And it's very, very delicate organ. And, you know, I my, like I said, my, I've got a very close friend who, you know, has same diagnosis. And she's, 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 she's pretty much blind in one eye. She's had had to have multiple surgeries and, you you know, and why, why, why did that happen to her and not me? Why did we both have a vitrectomy? And, you know, although I have, you know, vision loss in that eye, like it's,
0: Hers went far worse than yours did. And why, right. why you and not her. And that is yeah, well, that is survivor's guilt to some degree, I would imagine, right?
1: Well, well, you know, it's funny because, yeah, it's funny because um, when my doctors, you know, they've been talking about, you know, having a double transplant, you know, kidney and pancreas, sometimes I think I will feel guilty because I like to stay on social media and support people. And, and I, if, if that goes down and who knows, um, I mean, I'm getting closer to to some of that, but I, I don't know. I don't want people to be pissed at me or 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 some. You know what someone said once? They're like, "Oh, I wish I could have that." It's like, no, you don't. You don't want to wreck your body so bad that you need a kidney. And I mean. And there's so much that they don't know about pancreas transplants anyways. Yeah, it's, so it's, not, it, it's, all,
0: it's like, not all roses. It's, it's not, no, it's, it's not it's, a it's, light switch fish. You're going to be on uh, blockers for rejection the rest of your life, which yeah. will, with your luck, Nicole's going to, lend to lead to cancer. And so, you know, like it's oh, just – Oh, God.
1: Yeah, don't put that in my aura. like – don't put that in my field.
0: <laughs> but, but you know, uh, first of all, no one should be hoping that their, pan- that their um, kidneys go so they can get a transplant um, right. because that is a horror. You don't know. I know somebody going through um, – dialysis for a long time and and it's a personal friend of mine and it's it's a horror so um
1: yeah that yeah I mean, that's a whole nother yeah, yeah, yeah. you know and, yeah yeah
0: but so so point point here is um of course you can't give people medical advice and of course but but you can always give them the benefit of your knowledge your knowledge isn't going to if you got an organ transplant tomorrow Your knowledge about gastroparesis, about retinopathy, about being noncompliant, that that knowledge doesn't change. It probably grows. It probably gives you a different perspective. You don't have to stop trying to lend help to people because your situation changes. Your situation will grow. You'll have more to help with. Right. And as far as people being angry that you got them and not you... That's a strange idea. You know, like, Nicole, you are (laughs) absolutely lovely, but you are almost health-wise, not someone, anyone should feel like I wish I was her. (laughs) So, you, you know, like, it's just, that's just, that's probably someone's just, they're probably just in a dire situation and they just don't know what else to do or what else to say. But I think you know what they should be doing. They should be confronting their fear, trying to find support getting answers that will help them take better care of themselves day to day. And, you know, I just, I'm, you know, we're, we're so close to an hour. I'm totally having you back on at some point Uh, because first of all, you're chatty and thoughtful, which keeps me from having to talk too much, which the listeners will appreciate. And, (laughs) um, and at the same time, I think there's way more to your story coming and and still that I would love to still, I mean, I, I would love to do this with you again, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, no, I would totally, I would totally love to. Um, and, and like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm totally open for anyone that has complications or questions. You know, I, I, I I do make it a point to try to answer everybody at at this
0: point. You're you're an angel on Instagram. That's for sure. How do people find you on Instagram?
1: So um, my, I don't know, I call it a handle, right? My name or whatever. It's knickknack143143. So it's N-I-C-N-A-C-143143, which I was just telling somebody, I do want to change it. So I don't know if there's a way for you to put on the podcast just in case it does change. um,
0: If you ever change it, you tell me. Because I'm going to put a link in the show notes to take some right to your page. And if you ever change it, I've done it for other people. I'll go back and change it for you. Okay. So so let me know. Um, But geez, I, so if you're having, listen, here's, here's the thing. If you don't, if anybody who listens to this podcast doesn't see that what Nicole's talking about is the end result of all the things that we talk about every week on the podcast, trying to avoid, if you're not putting those two and two together, please pay closer attention. But, you know, because Nicole, we talk about how to stay away from spikes how to eat food without, you know, without creating these high blood sugars and lows later and stuff like that, really understanding how insulin works. It is super important to figure that stuff out now, not later. Um, And, and I just want to, I normally when I re-edit, I'll I'll edit this later. And at Mm -hmm. the end, I thank the person, uh, you know, just kind of, they're not there anymore, but I just, I'm going to thank you now. Like, I just really appreciate you coming on and, and, and speaking so openly about this. Well,
1: thank you. Thank you for having me. And if I can just say one last thing is that I don't want to scare people. Right. Like, I don't I I want I want people to have a small, healthy amount of fear. But I just tell people, like, just do your best. Right. Do your best. I get so many people want to know what's the test for your kidneys. And this, it's like, I don't like. Of course, you can email me that and ask mm-hmm. me that if you want. But ideally, it's like what what should I do to not end up like you? Not what test do I need to get done right now? Right? Because if people are asking that, it means that they've that they've they think in their own mind they've surpassed doing anything now, that they're at a point where they may be having the same complications. Yeah, and I think right? that so. even
0: you said like they need a healthy amount of fear. I don't even think it's. I think that the one thing we don't need around diabetes is fear. I think that people need. A healthy amount of respect for what this thing can do. This is no different than holding a loaded gun, driving a car, playing with fire. These are things that could devastate if you misuse them. and, right. and I think diabetes is just very similar, like that. Like you, right. I, I think the problem is that is the fear. Like I, the doctors make you afraid right up front, or you get you get the fear because no one gives you information, and you, you're left to wonder or Google or or your anxiety takes over. Um, I think the if If people have heard me say enough on here the the step that I took first to getting my daughter's situation to where it was, and like you said, I don't think it sucks to share a one c's because it can make people feel bad, but I do like you, I share Arden's because it it shows that um like a guy like me who didn't know what he was doing and was struggling as much as anybody could to understand diabetes figured it out and got you know i my daughter's a one c's been between five, six and six two for over four years. And, wow, and, and yeah. the first step to that was getting rid of my fear. And and that was the, I had to figure out a way to do it. It was so meaningful to me that when I figured out that that was the lesson, anybody who paid me to blog years ago, um, or even on my own site where I wasn't being paid, all I wrote about was, was fear and that it, it you needed to get rid of it. Uh, because I, because <laughs> right. that's the first step to making, because the rest of these decisions are difficult. And when you're afraid, you can't make them. You, you know, it's just – it sucks. It, it really does.
1: Right. And that's why I think I said – you said it better than I did. That's why I said healthy. <laughs> Meaning, like, you can't – I can't walk around and say, oh, my God, my blood sugar's 200 and now this is going to happen. It's like, okay, I did my best. I'm going to bring it – you know what I mean? But, but no. yeah, I like how you said it. I,
0: I wasn't <laughs> correcting you. I was just saying that, like, I, just in general, like, I, I knew what you meant. Right. I just – it would be weird if – after 150 episodes of me telling people not to be afraid, I let you say, "You need a little bit of fear." And I was just like, "Right on!" <laughs> so- right? No. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> um, but but seriously, I'm gonna let's stop the recording, and, and I'm just need to say thank you privately. But this was really terrific. Uh, you should be applauded for being this open. So th- so thank you very much. I'm I'm incredibly grateful that you did this.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it a lot.
0: Absolutely. Let me thank Omnipod and Dexcom for sponsoring this episode and thank them for putting up with me inserting old ads, uh, but I'm having trouble talking today. Please go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox, dexcom.com forward slash juicebox, or the links in your show notes to find out more. Okay, I'm going to try to get through this. After we recorded this episode, I got a note from Nicole that said, You know, I was just thinking, and I'm not sure how important it is or if it needs to be mentioned. We didn't dive too much into the kidney disease, but if there was something important for people to know, it's that I didn't stop at 50% function. It has progressed so quickly, it's now at stage 4. I say this because you can live well and okay with 50% function, but now I'm facing dialysis soon. My function is like at 21%, so whether it's the podcast or another time, I think the quickness of the progression is important to share. Two days later, she posted this on her Instagram page. I wish I had better news. I even wish I had something profound to say. My doctor called and left me a message with yesterday's labs. He said it's time to call the transplant team. Quote, tell them you have chronic kidney disease and you're a patient of mine. Tell them you need a transplant evaluation. Nicole goes on to say, so basically they will evaluate me and then they will put me on the deceased donor list. My kidneys are giving up. Honestly I just cried and cried. I called transplant and left the message and then just stared out the window. Not even thinking. Feeling like I couldn't really move my legs. Just sitting staring wondering how strong I am. Wondering if kidney pancreas transplant is safe or a good idea. Thinking I'm not ready and I don't want this. Time's up. My body says. I feel like I'm trapped in a nightmare. I want to go back in time for a do-over. Too late time to keep moving forward if you want to keep up with Nicole's story or even thank her for being so bold today on the juice box podcast she's nicknac 143143 on instagram that's n-i-c-n-a-c one four three one four three there's also a link in the show notes